Nephi appears to have written his second book many years after completing the first book of Nephi. During the passing years, he's had time to carefully study the book of Isaiah and compare his own vision with the things which Isaiah saw. But for the sake of continuity, Nephi now goes back to the most important events following the closing of the first book of Nephi. He wants to tell us about the end of Lehi's life and the deathbed messages which he gave to his sons. And now it came to pass that after I, Nephi, had made an end of teaching my brethren, our father Lehi also spake many things unto them and rehearsed unto them how great things the Lord had done for them in bringing them out of the land of Jerusalem. And he spake unto them concerning their rebellions upon the waters, and the mercies of God in sparing their lives, that they were not swallowed up in the sea. And he also spake unto them concerning the land of promise, which they had obtained. How merciful the Lord had been in warning us that we should flee out of the land of Jerusalem. For behold, said he, I have seen a vision in which I know that Jerusalem is destroyed, and had we remained in Jerusalem, we should also have perished. As nearly as we can tell, Lehi's thirteenth revelation was concerning the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. That was thirteen years after Lehi left Jerusalem. Lehi wants his sons to know how close they came to being destroyed and how fortunate they were to have arrived in the promised land in spite of their extremely miserable rebellions off and on ever since they left Jerusalem. But, said he, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands, a land which the Lord God hath covenanted with me should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. Yea, the Lord hath covenanted this land unto me and to my children forever, and also all those who should be led out of other countries by the hand of the Lord. But Lehi says the important thing to keep in mind from here on is the thrilling fact that they have reached the promised land, and the Lord has said it is a choice land, choice above all other lands. He also discloses that God has promised to give America to Lehi's descendants as a permanent inheritance. However, he says he will also be an inheritance for any other people God chooses to bring to this land in the future. Wherefore I, Lehi, prophesy according to the workings of the Spirit which is in me, that there shall none come into this land, save they shall be brought by the hand of the Lord. Wherefore this land is consecrated unto him whom he shall bring. And if it so be that they shall serve him according to the commandments which he hath given, it shall be a land of liberty unto them. Wherefore they shall never be brought down into captivity. If so, it shall be because of iniquity. For if iniquity shall abound, cursed shall be the land for their sakes, but unto the righteous it shall be blessed forever. These two verses contain a promise by God that if the inhabitants of this land continue to serve him, this will be a land of liberty for them. However, if they become wicked, they will have no such promise. In fact, they will suffer persecution and captivity. And behold, it is wisdom that this land should be kept as yet from the knowledge of other nations. 
for behold, many nations would overrun the land, that there would be no place for an inheritance. Wherefore I, Lehi, have obtained a promise, that inasmuch as those whom the Lord God shall bring out of the land of Jerusalem shall keep his commandments, they shall prosper upon the face of this land, and they shall be kept from all other nations, that they may possess this land unto themselves. And if it so be that they shall keep his commandments, they shall be blessed upon the face of this land, and there shall be none to molest them, nor to take away the land of their inheritance, and they shall dwell safely for ever. But behold, when the time cometh that they shall dwindle in unbelief, after they have received so great blessings from the hand of the Lord, having a knowledge of the creation of the earth and all men, knowing the great and marvelous works of the Lord from the creation of the world, having power given them to do all things by faith, having all the commandments from the beginning, and having been brought by his infinite goodness into this precious land of promise, behold, I say, if the day shall come that they will reject the Holy One of Israel, the true Messiah, their Redeemer and their God, behold, the judgments of him that is just shall rest upon them. Lehi has been told by the Lord that this promised land will be kept hidden from the rest of the world for a period of time, so it will not be overrun with strangers. Lehi has also been promised that so long as the people are righteous, they will prosper in this land. However, both Lehi and Nephi had seen a vision of the apostasy of their descendants, so they knew that tremendous calamities would come as judgments of God if they became corrupt and apostatized. Yea, he will bring other nations unto them, and he will give unto them power, and he will take away from them the lands of their possessions, and he will cause them to be scattered and smitten. Yea, as one generation passeth to another, there shall be bloodsheds and great visitations among them. Wherefore, my sons, I would that ye would remember, yea, I would that ye would hearken unto my words. Oh, that ye would awake, awake from a deep sleep, yea, even from the sleep of hell, and shake off the awful chains by which ye are bound, which are the chains which bind the children of men, that they are carried away captive down to the eternal gulf of misery and woe. Awake, and arise from the dust, and hear the words of a trembling parent, whose limbs ye must soon lay down in the cold and silent grave, from whence no traveller can return. A few more days, and I go the way of all the earth. Lehi had seen the devastating invasion of the Gentiles from Europe in the latter days, First he saw the Spanish, then the French, and finally the English. As for Central and South America, who would have believed that Cortez and Pizarro, with less than a thousand Spanish soldiers, would conquer literally millions of Native Americans? As a result, Lehi saw that his descendants lost nearly all of their lands and ended up being suppressed, conquered, scattered, and persecuted. Then we hear the plea of a dying father, which seems to be directed to his older rebellious sons. Lehi says he is not sure there is any hope for them. He urges them to rise from the sleep of apostasy and break off the chains of hell by which he fears they are ensnared. 
He pleads with them to listen to the words of a trembling parent who within the next few days will be laid away in a cold and silent grave. But behold, the Lord hath redeemed my soul from hell. I have beheld his glory, and I am encircled about eternally in the arms of his love. And I desire that ye should remember to observe the statutes and the judgments of the Lord. Behold, this hath been the anxiety of my soul from the beginning. My heart hath been weighed down with sorrow from time to time, for I have feared, lest for the hardness of your hearts the Lord your God should come out in the fullness of his wrath upon you, that ye be cut off and destroyed forever, or that a cursing should come upon you for the space of many generations, and ye are visited by sword and by famine, and are hated, and are led according to the will and captivity of the devil. As for himself, Lehi has received an assurance from the Lord that he will be redeemed. In other words, his calling and election has been made sure. Nevertheless, Lehi carries a heavy burden concerning his two older sons. He knows they have seen an angel and beheld the powers of God sufficiently to come under the condemnation as sons of perdition if they do not repent. This means that if they continue on this apostate course and then die in their sins, Laman and Lemuel could eventually be cast back into outer darkness and become lost as children of God forever. As for the descendants of Laman and Lemuel, both Lehi and Nephi had seen that if they also apostatized, they could be cursed by God from generation to generation. Now listen as Lehi pleads with these two older sons. O oh, my sons, that these things might not come upon you, but that ye might be a choice and a favored people of the Lord. But behold, his will be done, for his ways are righteousness forever. And he hath said that, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. But inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. And now, that my soul might have joy in you, and that my heart might leave this world with gladness because of you, that I might not be brought down with grief and sorrow to the grave. Arise from the dust, my sons, and be men, and be determined in one mind and in one heart, united in all things, that ye may not come down into captivity, that ye may not be cursed with a sore cursing, and also that ye may not incur the displeasure of a just God upon you, unto the destruction, yea, the eternal destruction of both soul and body. Awake, my sons, put on the armor of righteousness, Shake off the chains with which ye are bound, and come forth out of obscurity, and arise from the dust. Lehi knew his older sons still had murder in their hearts concerning their younger brother Nephi. This dying father therefore lays a strict commandment on the heads of Laman and Lemuel. He sternly commands them, Rebel no more against your brother, whose views have been glorious and who hath kept the commandments from the time that we left Jerusalem, and who hath been an instrument in the hands of God in bringing us forth into the land of promise 
for were it not for him, we must have perished with hunger in the wilderness. Nevertheless ye sought to take away his life. Yea, and he hath suffered much sorrow because of you. And I exceedingly fear and tremble because of you, lest he shall suffer again. For behold, ye have accused him that he sought power and authority over you. But I know that he hath not sought for power nor authority over you, but he hath sought the glory of God and your own eternal welfare. Lehi knew these older brothers had misjudged Nephi. They had falsely attributed his motives as a teacher and leader to arrogance and pride when his real motives were just the opposite. Lehi is therefore ready to completely deprive these older brothers of their inheritance if they do not accept Nephi's inspired leadership. And ye have murmured because he hath been plain unto you. Ye say that he hath used sharpness. Ye say that he hath been angry with you. But behold, his sharpness was the sharpness of the power of the word of God which was in him. And that which ye call anger was the truth, according to that which is in God, which he could not restrain, manifesting boldly concerning your iniquities. And it must needs be that the power of God must be with him, even unto his commanding you that ye must obey. But behold, it was not he, but it was the Spirit of the Lord which was in him, which opened his mouth to utterance that he could not shut it. And now my son Laman, and also Lemuel and Sam, and also my sons who are the sons of Ishmael, behold, if ye will hearken unto the voice of Nephi, ye shall not perish. And if ye will hearken unto him, I leave unto you a blessing, yea, even my first blessing. But if ye will not hearken unto him, I take away my first blessing, yea, even my blessing, and it shall rest upon him. So this is Lehi's final word to all of these older brothers, as well as the older sons of Ishmael. Now Lehi turns to Zoram, the former servant of General Laban. And now, Zoram, I speak unto you. Behold, thou art the servant of Laban, Nevertheless thou hast been brought out of the land of Jerusalem, and I know that thou art a true friend unto my son Nephi forever. Wherefore, because thou hast been faithful, thy seed shall be blessed with his seed, that they dwell in prosperity long upon the face of this land. And nothing, save it shall be iniquity among them, shall harm or disturb their prosperity upon the face of this land forever. Wherefore, if ye shall keep the commandments of the Lord, the Lord hath consecrated this land for the security of thy seed with the seed of my son. Second Nephi chapter 2 At this point Lehi turns to his son Jacob, who was born after his parents left Jerusalem. In fact, they were well on their way through the wilderness when Jacob came upon the scene. We learn that the older brothers made the life of this young boy totally miserable. Nephi says the afflictions of the older brothers constantly tormented Jacob. Now, Jacob, I speak unto you. Thou art my firstborn in the days of my tribulation in the wilderness. And behold, in thy childhood thou hast suffered afflictions and much sorrow because of the rudeness of thy brethren. 
Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. Wherefore thy soul shall be blessed, and thou shalt dwell safely with thy brother Nephi, and thy days shall be spent in the service of thy God. Wherefore I know that thou art redeemed because of the righteousness of thy Redeemer, for thou hast beheld that in the fullness of time he cometh to bring salvation unto men, and thou hast beheld in thy youth his glory, wherefore thou art blessed even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh. For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and the way is prepared from the fall of man, and salvation is free. These passages contain some scriptural gems. We learn that Lehi felt this choice son was already redeemed because while Jacob was still a young boy, he had seen the Savior and apparently witnessed a vision of Christ's ministry in the earth, including the Savior's death and resurrection. And men are instructed sufficiently that they know good from evil, and the law is given unto men. And by the law no flesh is justified, or by the law men are cut off. Yea, by the temporal law they were cut off, and also by the spiritual law they perish from that which is good and become miserable forever. Wherefore redemption cometh in and through the holy Messiah, for he is full of grace and truth. Behold, he offereth himself a sacrifice for sin, to answer the ends of the law unto all those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit, and unto none else can the ends of the law be answered. In verse 7, Lehi anticipates the day when blood sacrifices under the law of Moses will be replaced by the requirement of a broken heart and a contrite spirit. This is pure Christian doctrine being taught by Lehi nearly 600 years before Jesus was even born. Wherefore, how great the importance to make these things known unto the inhabitants of the earth, that they may know that there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God, save it be through the merits and mercy and grace of the holy Messiah, who layeth down his life according to the flesh, and taketh it again by the power of the Spirit, that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead, being the first that should rise. Wherefore he is the first fruits unto God, inasmuch as he shall make intercession for all the children of men, and they that believe in him shall be saved. And because of the intercession for all, all men come unto God, Wherefore they stand in the presence of him to be judged of him according to the truth and holiness which is in him. Wherefore the ends of the law which the Holy One hath given, unto the inflicting of the punishment which is affixed, which punishment that is affixed is in opposition to that of the happiness which is affixed, to answer the ends of the atonement. In these verses, Lehi demonstrates that he had a complete understanding of the true meaning of the atonement. When we reach Alma chapter 34, we will discuss the sermon by Amulek, 
which is the most profound sermon on the genius of the atonement in all four standard works of the church. Apparently, Lehi understood this doctrine just as well as Amulek. For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. If not so, my firstborn in the wilderness, righteousness could not be brought to pass. Neither wickedness, neither holiness, nor misery, neither good nor bad. Wherefore all things must needs be a compound in one. Wherefore, if it should be one body, it must needs remain as dead, having no life, neither death, nor corruption, nor incorruption, happiness, nor misery, neither sense, nor insensibility. Wherefore, it must needs have been created for a thing of naught. Wherefore, there would have been no purpose in the end of its creation. Wherefore, this thing must needs destroy the wisdom of God and his eternal purposes, and also the power and the mercy and the justice of God. And if ye shall say there is no law, ye shall also say there is no sin. If ye shall say there is no sin, ye shall also say there is no righteousness. And if there be no righteousness, there be no happiness. And if there be no righteousness nor happiness, there be no punishment nor misery. And if these things are not, there is no God. And if there is no God, we are not, neither the earth. For there could have been no creation of things, neither to act nor to be acted upon. Wherefore, all things must have vanished away. There is no better scripture than this one which demonstrates the divine necessity for opposition in all things. Without the building of opposition into God's creations, there would be no existence. This is amazing. But in fact, it is only as we become aware of the combination of opposition in all things that we are able to comprehend their true reality. How could we say something is hot if there was no cold? How could we say something is good if there was no evil? Everything exists in relation to its opposite, and Lehi is saying that without its opposition, nothing exists. Even the elements are a combination of the positive and negative electron. And now, my sons, I speak unto you these things for your profit and learning. For there is a God, and he hath created all things, both the heavens and the earth, and all things that in them are, both things to act and things to be acted upon, and to bring about his eternal purposes in the end of man, after he had created our first parents, and the beasts of the field, and the fowls of the air, and in fine all things which are created, it must needs be that there was an opposition, even the forbidden fruit, in opposition to the tree of life, the one being sweet and the other bitter. Wherefore the Lord God gave unto man that he should act for himself. Wherefore man could not act for himself, save it should be that he was enticed by the one or the other. In the fourteenth verse, Father Lehi lays down a fundamental principle of God's science. This is one of those verses people might read over many times without ever comprehending its total implication. Elder John A. Witzel of the Council of the Twelve, who is a famous scientist in his own right, 
pointed out this verse and called it one of the major keys to an understanding of the way the family of the gods have organized the universe. In this verse, Father Lehi said everything in existence is made out of just two things, two opposites, something to act and something to be acted upon. Elder Widsell then called attention to section 93 of the Doctrine and Covenants, where it says that things which act are called tiny intelligences, whereas the things which are acted upon are bits of element or primal matter. Brigham Young, who was tutored by Joseph Smith, said these bits of primal matter are capacitated to receive intelligence. And once these particles have been imbued with intelligences, they can be commanded and organized into all the marvelous things we see about us. This is found in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 2. And Brigham Young also taught that while the intelligences provide the initiative or active ingredient in nature, it is only through the elements that intelligences can acquire their qualities and attributes of substance and glory. And that teaching is found in Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 121. And I, Lehi, according to the things which I have read, must needs suppose that an angel of God, according to that which is written, had fallen from heaven. Wherefore he became a devil, having sought that which was evil before God. And because he had fallen from heaven, and had become miserable forever, he sought also the misery of all mankind. Wherefore he said unto Eve, Yea, even that old serpent who is the devil, who is the father of all lies, wherefore he said, Partake of the forbidden fruit, and ye shall not die, but ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. And after Adam and Eve had partaken of the forbidden fruit, they were driven out of the Garden of Eden to till the earth. And they have brought forth children, yea, even the family of all the earth. And the days of the children of men were prolonged according to the will of God, that they might repent while in the flesh. Wherefore their state became a state of probation, and their time was lengthened according to the commandments which the Lord God gave unto the children of men. For he gave commandment that all men must repent. For he showed unto all men that they were lost because of the transgression of their parents. In these verses, Father Lehi explains the role of Satan. In the Garden of Eden, Satan told Eve one truth in order to get her to believe a monstrous lie. For example, he told her if she would partake of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, it would make her wise, like God. She would know the difference between good and evil. Well, that actually was a divine truth. But then he turned around and repudiated the warning of the Father that if they partook of the fruit, they would surely die. Satan said to Eve, partake of the fruit, you will not die. And of course, this was a lie. In fact, after Adam and Eve partook of the fruit from the tree of knowledge, it not only changed their physical bodies and gave them the ability to discern from good and evil, like their heavenly father, but great changes occurred in their physical bodies. The seeds of death began to take effect that would eventually cause them to die. But in their changed condition, they were able to have children for the first time. We should notice one other thing before leaving this particular scripture. 
This is the only place which explains why it was necessary to extend the lifespan of mankind during the patriarchal period. It was so the first generation would hear the gospel before they died. And as you know, many of them lived to be nearly a thousand years old. And now behold, if Adam had not transgressed, he would not have fallen, but he would have remained in the Garden of Eden, and all things which were created must have remained in the same state in which they were after they were created, and they must have remained forever and had no end, and they would have had no children. Wherefore they would have remained in a state of innocence, having no joy, for they knew no misery, doing no good, for they knew no sin. But behold, all things have been done in the wisdom of him who knoweth all things. Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. This brings us to the classical statement of Lehi that, quote, Adam fell that men might be, and men are that they might have joy, unquote. Here Lehi is teaching us that the fall of Adam and Eve was to fulfill God's purposes. As Lehi explains it, if there had not been a fall, it would have left Adam and Eve in a helpless condition without any opportunity to progress. We also learn that if the father had caused the fall on his own initiative, Mankind would have spent their lives blaming God for all of the hardships associated with the learning experience that comes with mortal life. By setting up Adam and Eve so that they would be motivated to bring about their own fall, they gained all the advantages of the mortal experience without being able to blame their difficulties or hardships on their Heavenly Father. And the Messiah cometh in the fullness of time that he may redeem the children of men from the fall. And because that they are redeemed from the fall, they have become free forever, knowing good from evil, to act for themselves and not to be acted upon, save it be by the punishment of the law at the great and last day, according to the commandments which God hath given. Wherefore men are free according to the flesh, and all things are given them which are expedient unto man and they are free to choose liberty and eternal life through the great mediator of all men, or to choose captivity and death according to the captivity and power of the devil. For he seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself. And just as mankind fell to achieve God's purposes, so God provided an atonement and a Savior so that their sins could be forgiven after they had repented. Thus mankind could learn the difference between good and evil without being punished for the mistakes they made during the learning process. Of course, this required sincere repentance and a commitment before God through baptism that they would strive to keep His commandments to the best of their ability. Meanwhile, Lehi wanted his children to know their enemy. Satan strives with all his power to get mankind to follow him because he wants the children of the Father to be miserable like himself. And now, my sons, I would that ye should look to the great Mediator and hearken unto his great commandments and be faithful unto his words and choose eternal life according to the will of his Holy Spirit, 
and not choose eternal death according to the will of the flesh and the evil which is therein, which giveth the spirit of the devil power to captivate, to bring you down to hell, that he may reign over you in his own kingdom. I have spoken these few words unto you all, my sons, in the last days of my probation, and I have chosen the good part according to the words of the prophet, and I have none other object save it be the everlasting welfare of your souls. Amen. Lehi knew that some of these listening to him, particularly Laman and Lemuel, had seen an angel, they had heard the voice of God, and were therefore in a position to choose eternal death if they continued seeking ways to kill Nephi. Those who betray God by shedding innocent blood, after having had such great spiritual manifestations, are not only subject to the death of the body, but also suffer an eternal or second death. This is the worst of all punishments. In the case of the sons of perdition, they lose their resurrected tabernacles and are cast back into outer darkness as stripped naked intelligences. This is the eternal death from which the Lord says there can be no return. And this statement is found in Third Nephi, chapter 27, verse 17. Finally, Lehi comes to his youngest son, Joseph. Young Joseph, like Jacob, was born during the trek through the wilderness. And it was no casual accident that Lehi named his son Joseph. Lehi had already seen in vision the rising up of a great prophet named Joseph in the latter days. Furthermore, Lehi had learned from the brass plates that both he and Ishmael were descendants of the great Joseph who was sold into Egypt. It seemed especially appropriate to give this little boy, who was born in the wilderness, the name of Joseph. Addressing this youngest of his children, Lehi says, And now I speak unto you, Joseph, my last born. Thou wast born in the wilderness of mine afflictions, yea, in the days of my greatest sorrow did thy mother bear thee. And may the Lord consecrate also unto thee this land, which is a most precious land, for thine inheritance and the inheritance of thy seed with thy brethren, for thy security forever, if it so be that ye shall keep the commandments of the Holy One of Israel. And now, Joseph, my last-born, whom I have brought out of the wilderness of mine afflictions, may the Lord bless thee forever, for thy seed shall not utterly be destroyed. Of course, Lehi knew from the twenty-six hundred years of prophetic vision that his own descendants would go through a travail both good and bad. The greatest promise he could make to young Joseph was the fact that his descendants would not be entirely obliterated during the long epoch of apostasy when great civil wars would break out among Lehi's descendants somewhere between three and 400 A.D. For behold, thou art the fruit of my loins, and I am a descendant of Joseph, who was carried captive into Egypt. And great were the covenants of the Lord which he made unto Joseph. At this point, Lehi could not resist bearing testimony of the greatness of Joseph who was sold into Egypt. Wherefore, Joseph truly saw our day, and he obtained a promise of the Lord, 
that out of the fruit of his loins the Lord God would rise up a righteous branch unto the house of Israel, not the Messiah, but a branch which was to be broken off, nevertheless to be remembered in the covenants of the Lord that the Messiah should be made manifest unto them in the latter days, in the spirit of power, unto the bringing of them out of darkness unto light, yea, out of hidden darkness, and out of captivity unto freedom. This is a brilliant passage of prophecy. Lehi testifies that he, Lehi, had been shown in vision to Joseph in Egypt. In other words, Joseph saw that Lehi would be the great leader who would be raised up to carry a branch of Joseph's seed over the ocean to the promised land, where they would receive the gospel of Jesus Christ in the latter days. What a thrilling thing this must have been when Lehi learned that he was shown to Joseph in Egypt over a thousand years before Lehi was born. For Joseph truly testified, saying, A seer shall the Lord my God raise up, who shall be a choice seer unto the fruit of my loins. Yea, Joseph truly said, Thus saith the Lord unto me, A choice seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and he shall be esteemed highly among the fruit of thy loins. And unto him will I give commandment that he shall do a work for the fruit of thy loins, his brethren, which shall be of great worth unto them, even to the bringing of them to the knowledge of the covenants which I have made with thy fathers. And I will give unto him a commandment that he shall do none other work, save the work which I shall command him. And I will make him great in mine eyes, for he shall do my work. Lehi was also shown that in the latter days the Lord would raise up a choice prophet who would be esteemed highly by Lehi's descendants. In fact, the latter days seer would do a great work for Lehi's descendants and bring them to a knowledge of God's covenants with their fathers. This, of course, turned out to be the prophet Joseph Smith. And he shall be great, like unto Moses, whom I have said I would raise up unto you to deliver my people, O house of Israel. And Moses will I raise up to deliver thy people out of the land of Egypt. Lehi knew that the prophet of the latter days would be a tremendously powerful leader, comparable to Moses of old. Lehi quotes Joseph of Egypt from the famous brass plates. He was told by the Lord the following, But a seer will I raise up out of the fruit of thy loins, and unto him will I give power to bring forth my word unto the seed of thy loins. And not to the bringing forth my word only, saith the Lord, but to the convincing them of my word, which shall have already gone forth among them. Wherefore the fruit of thy loins shall write, and the fruit of the loins of Judah shall write, and that which shall be written by the fruit of thy loins, and also that which shall be written by the fruit of the loins of Judah shall grow together unto the confounding of false doctrines and laying down of contentions, and establishing peace among the fruit of thy loins, and bringing them to the knowledge of their fathers in the latter days, and also to the knowledge of my covenants, saith the Lord. 
Notice that this seer of the latter days would unite the writings of the tribe of Joseph, which turned out to be the Book of Mormon, with the writings of the Jews, which turned out to be the Bible. He learned that each one of these books would confirm the validity of the other. He learned these combined scriptures would put down false doctrines and teach the tribe of Joseph concerning their forefathers. And out of weakness he shall be made strong. In that day, when my work shall commence among all my people unto the restoring thee, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. And thus prophesied Joseph, saying, Behold, that seer will the Lord bless, and they that seek to destroy him shall be confounded. For this promise which I have obtained of the Lord of the fruit of my loins shall be fulfilled. Behold, I am sure of the fulfilling of this promise, and his name shall be called after me, and it shall be after the name of his father, and he shall be like unto me, for the thing which the Lord shall bring forth by his hand, by the power of the Lord shall bring my people unto salvation. Now we learn from the brass plates the actual name of this prophet of the latter days. His name would be Joseph. His father's name would be Joseph. One can only imagine the feelings of Joseph Smith as he dictated these passages of Holy Scripture and recognized that they were talking about himself. So this humble young farm boy turns out to be that famous Joseph that was a direct descendant of Joseph who was sold into Egypt. In fact, he must have been thrilled to discover that both he and his father were mentioned in this prophecy by name to this young unschooled New York farm boy. This exciting discovery must have been fantastic. Yea, thus prophesied Joseph, I am sure of this thing, even as I am sure of the promise of Moses. For the Lord hath said unto me, I will preserve thy seed forever. And the Lord hath said, I will raise up a Moses, and I will give power unto him in a rod, and I will give judgment unto him in writing. Yet I will not loose his tongue, that he shall speak much, for I will not make him mighty in speaking, but I will write unto him my law by the finger of mine own hand, and I will make a spokesman for him. It is interesting that Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, knew all about Moses, although he would not be born until long after Joseph died. Joseph not only knew about Moses by name, but knew he would be slow of speech and the Lord would give him a spokesman who would negotiate for him. He also knew God would write on the tablets of Moses the law of God written with his own finger, and that God would give Moses the power to divide the Red Sea with his rod. And the Lord said unto me also, I will raise up unto the fruit of thy loins, and I will make for him a spokesman. And I, behold, I will give unto him that he shall write the writing of the fruit of thy loins unto the fruit of thy loins, and the spokesman of thy loins shall declare it. And the words which he shall write shall be the words which are expedient in my wisdom should go forth unto the fruit of thy loins. And it shall be as if the fruit of thy loins had cried unto them from the dust, 
for I know their faith. And they shall cry from the dust, yea, even repentance unto their brethren, even after many generations have gone by them. And it shall come to pass that their cry shall go, even according to the simpleness of their words. Because of their faith, their words shall proceed forth out of my mouth unto their brethren who are the fruit of thy loins. And the weakness of their words will I make strong in their faith unto the remembering of my covenant which I made unto thy fathers. It is also interesting that just as Moses would have to have a spokesman because of slow speech, so the seer in the latter days would have a special spokesman. Now, Joseph Smith was not slow of speech by any manner of means, but he was very sensitive about his lack of formal education. The spokesman selected by the Lord for Joseph Smith was a former minister, Sidney Rigdon, referred to in section 100, verse 9 of the Doctrine and Covenants. However, this appointment went to Sidney Rigdon's head, and he lost the confidence of God so that another had to be appointed in his place. The brass plates also talked about Joseph in the latter days writing up the records of Lehi's people so they would speak like a voice from the dust to Lehi's descendants. And now behold, my son Joseph, after this manner did my father of old prophesy. Wherefore, because of this covenant, thou art blessed. For thy seed shall not be destroyed, for they shall hearken unto the words of the book. And there shall rise up one mighty among them, who shall do much good both in word and in deed, being an instrument in the hands of God with exceeding faith to work mighty wonders and do that thing which is great in the sight of God, unto the bringing to pass much restoration unto the house of Israel and unto the seed of thy brethren. And now blessed art thou, Joseph. Behold, thou art little, Wherefore, hearken unto the words of thy brother Nephi, and it shall be done unto thee even according to the words which I have spoken. Remember the words of thy dying father. Amen. As Lehi concluded his words to little Joseph, he told him that his seed would also survive all the way down to the latter days. He said his seed would live to see the raising up of Joseph, the mighty seer of the latter days. Lehi then closes his message to Joseph with this moving benediction, quote, Remember the words of thy dying father. Amen. Unquote. Second Nephi chapter 4 Lehi has one final tribute to pay to Joseph, who was sold into Egypt. He says, and now I, Nephi, speak concerning the prophecies of which my father hath spoken concerning Joseph, who was carried into Egypt. For behold, he truly prophesied concerning all his seed, and the prophecies which he wrote, there are not many greater. And he prophesied concerning us and our future generations, and they are written upon the plates of brass. Now the dying prophet Lehi has just one more group of his family for whom he has great concern. Therefore Nephi writes, 
Wherefore, after my father had made an end of speaking concerning the prophecies of Joseph, he called the children of Laman, his sons and his daughters, and said unto them, Behold, my sons and my daughters, who are the sons and daughters of my firstborn, I would that ye should give ear unto my words. For the Lord God hath said that, Inasmuch as ye shall keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land, and inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall be cut off from my presence. But behold, my sons and my daughters, I cannot go down to my grave, save I should leave a blessing upon you. For behold, I know that if ye are brought up in the way ye should go, ye will not depart from it. Wherefore, if ye are cursed, behold, I leave my blessing upon you, that the cursing may be taken from you, and be answered upon the heads of your parents. Wherefore, because of my blessing, the Lord God will not suffer that ye shall perish, wherefore he will be merciful unto you and unto your seed forever. Surely this was a strange blessing. Lehi knew the minds of these young people had been poisoned by their rebellious parents. Therefore he says, quote, If ye are cursed, I bless you that your cursing may be answered upon the heads of your parents, unquote. Then he adds, as a result of the blessing he has pronounced upon the children of Laman, they will survive as a people and receive some special blessings in the latter days. And it came to pass that after my father had made an end of speaking to the sons and daughters of Laman, he caused the sons and daughters of Lemuel to be brought before him. And he spake unto them, saying, Behold, my sons and my daughters, who are the sons and the daughters of my second son, behold, I leave unto you the same blessing which I left unto the sons and daughters of Laman. Wherefore thou shalt not utterly be destroyed." But in the end, thy seed shall be blessed. Lehi gave a similar blessing to the children of Lemuel, and said that in the end they also would be blessed. And it came to pass that when my father had made an end of speaking unto them, behold, he spake unto the sons of Ishmael, yea, and even all his household. It will be recalled that on certain occasions the sons of Ishmael had joined in the rebellious uprisings of Laman and Lemuel. But now Lehi gave their children a blessing just as he had blessed the children of Laman and Lemuel. And after he had made an end of speaking unto them, he spake unto Sam, saying, Blessed art thou and thy seed, for thou shalt inherit the land like unto thy brother Nephi and thy seed shall be numbered with his seed. And thou shalt be even like unto thy brother, and thy seed like unto his seed. And thou shalt be blessed in all thy days. It will be recalled that when Laman and Lemuel were beating Nephi shortly after they lost their family fortune, Sam defended Nephi. So the older brothers beat on him too. Then the angel appeared and chastised the older brothers. This leads us to assume that Sam was never rebellious like Laman and Lemuel, but stood up for Nephi when he could. Notice that his blessing is combined with that of Nephi, and his seed will be blessed right along with the seed of Nephi. 
And it came to pass, after my father Lehi had spoken unto all his household, according to the feelings of his heart, and the Spirit of the Lord which was in him, he waxed old. And it came to pass that he died and was buried. At last we come to the end of a great epic in Book of Mormon history. It seems difficult to imagine this great historical narration continuing without the presence of the valiant patriarch Lehi. Nevertheless, the end had come, and therefore we say to this noble prophet, God bless you, Father Lehi, and farewell. And it came to pass that not many days after his death, Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael were angry with me because of the admonitions of the Lord. For I, Nephi, was constrained to speak unto them according to his word. For I had spoken many things unto them, and also my father, before his death, many of which sayings are written upon mine other plates. For a more history part are written upon mine other plates. And upon these I write the things of my soul. And many of the scriptures which are engraven upon the plates of brass for my soul delighteth in the scriptures, and my heart pondereth them, and writeth them for the learning and the profit of my children. Behold, my soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and my heart pondereth continually upon the things which I have seen and heard. Nevertheless, notwithstanding the great goodness of the Lord in showing me his great and marvelous works, my heart exclaimeth, O wretched man that I am! Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. Suddenly we find Nephi beginning to mourn because of his iniquities. But what is he talking about? As the next chapter unfolds, we learn that barely had Lehi been laid to rest before Laman and Lemuel revolted. It happened when Nephi tried to remind these older brothers that their rude and crude ways were offensive to the Lord. The rebellion of Laman and Lemuel was so serious that Nephi knew they were once more plotting to kill him. We learn later that he felt like taking a sword of Laban and settling the treasonable conduct of these brothers then and there. However, Nephi knew this temptation to take direct action against his brothers was a sin. Unless you know this and realize what was boiling in Nephi's mind, it is impossible to understand what he's talking about during the rest of this chapter. I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Nevertheless, I know in whom I have trusted. In the light of what we've just mentioned, it is not difficult to feel the intensity of Nephi's sorrows as he finds himself severely tempted to settle the score once and for all with his murderous-minded older brothers. My God hath been my support. He hath led me through mine afflictions in the wilderness, and he hath preserved me upon the waters of the great deep. He hath filled me with his love, even unto the consuming of my flesh. He hath confounded mine enemies 
unto the causing of them to quake before me. Behold, he hath heard my cry by day, and he hath given me knowledge by visions in the night time. And by day have I waxed bold in mighty prayer before him, yea, my voice have I sent up on high. And angels came down and ministered unto me. The anguish of Nephi became so intense that he even had angels minister to him to soothe his feelings and urge continued patience. And upon the wings of his spirit hath my body been carried away upon exceeding high mountains, and mine eyes have beheld great things, yea, even too great for man. Therefore I was bidden that I should not write them. In these verses, Nephi is trying to build up his thankfulness to God for all the blessings which have been poured out upon him. Somehow he's trying to counteract the temptation to take revenge on those brothers who had tried to kill him four different times, and now they're thinking of doing it again. Oh, then, if I have seen so great things, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, why should my heart weep and my soul linger in the valley of sorrow, and my flesh waste away, and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions? And why should I yield to sin because of my flesh? Yea, why should I give way to temptations, that the evil one have place in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? Why am I angry because of mine enemy? Awake, my soul, no longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more for the enemy of my soul. Do not anger again because of mine enemies. Do not slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. Rejoice, O my heart, and cry unto the Lord, and say, O Lord, I will praise thee forever. Yea, my soul will rejoice in thee, my God, and the rock of my salvation. All of these verses are pure psychotherapy. He is talking to himself to bolster his appreciation of how much he has been blessed. And then he turns away from talking to himself and sends up a mighty petition to his heavenly Father. O Lord, wilt thou redeem my soul? Wilt thou deliver me out of the hands of mine enemies? Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because that my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me, that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road? O Lord, Wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? O Lord, wilt thou make a way for mine escape before mine enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way, but that thou wouldst clear my way before me, and hedge not up my way, but the ways of mine enemy? O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever.
I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh, for I know that cursed is he that putteth his trust in the arm of flesh. Yea, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm. Yea, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me if I ask not amiss. Therefore, I will lift up my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and mine everlasting God. Amen. Second Nephi, chapter 5. Behold, it came to pass that I, Nephi, did cry much unto the Lord my God because of the anger of my brethren. But behold, their anger did increase against me, insomuch that they did seek to take away my life. Yea, they did murmur against me, saying, Our younger brother thinks to rule over us, and we have had much trial because of him. Wherefore, now let us slay him, that we may not be afflicted more because of his words. For behold, we will not have him to be our ruler, for it belongs unto us, who are the elder brethren, to rule over this people. At last we know what Nephi did that made him feel he had sinned. In verse 2 we learn that they were planning to kill him. And in verse 3 we hear what they were saying to justify this vicious crime. Now I do not write upon these plates all the words which they murmured against me, but it sufficeth me to say that they did seek to take away my life. We have to remember that this is the fifth time Laman and Lemuel have seriously conspired to kill their younger brother. On all four previous occasions, the Lord intervened and saved Nephi's life. However, this time it suits the purposes of God to take a different course of action. And it came to pass that the Lord did warn me that I, Nephi, should depart from them and flee into the wilderness, and all those who would go with me. Wherefore it came to pass that I, Nephi, did take my family, and also Zoram and his family, and Sam, mine elder brother, and his family, and Jacob and Joseph, my younger brethren, and also my sisters, and all those who would go with me. And all those who would go with me were those who believed in the warnings and the revelations of God. Wherefore, they did hearken unto my words. It would be thrilling to know how Nephi managed this flight by night into the wilderness. We assume that the followers of Nephi were living somewhat apart from the group of rowdy rebels associated with Laman and Lemuel. We also assume that Nephi and his followers had most of one night to quietly steal away with their flocks, their tents, and their possessions. We later learn that Nephi had also taken with him the plates of Laban, the Liahona, the sword of Laban, and the many of the other sacred memorabilia that belonged to Lehi. Laman and Lemuel never forgave Nephi for taking these sacred artifacts, and neither did their descendants. And we did take our tents, and whatsoever things were possible for us, and did journey in the wilderness for the space of many days. And after we had journeyed for the space of many days, we did pitch our tents. And my people would that we should call the name of the place Nephi. Wherefore we did call it Nephi. 
and all those who were with me did take upon them to call themselves the people of Nephi. Since the place of first landing had been along the seashore, we assume Nephi's flight for many days was toward the east. As they began to settle down in their new location, the people wanted to name this new territory the Land of Nephi. They must have gone so far that they felt fairly safe because they began to raise crops and raise up their flocks. But they never would have guessed how famous this community of Nephi would become as the years passed by. And we did observe to keep the judgments and the statutes and the commandments of the Lord in all things according to the law of Moses. And the Lord was with us, and we did prosper exceedingly. For we did sow seed, and we did reap again in abundance. And we began to raise flocks and herds and animals of every kind. We now have a confirmation that Nephi had carried away with him the sacred records, the plates of brass, the liahona, and the sword of Laban. In spite of the distance from the place of their first landing, Nephi felt it was important to be able to defend themselves if the followers of Laman and Lemuel should somehow discover where they were. He therefore used the sword of Laban as a pattern and made many more just like it. And by the way, The sword of Laban still exists, and it is hidden with the Nephite library in the Hill Cumorah. The amazing story of the sword of Laban is found in volume 1, page 41 of our text. And I, Nephi, had also brought the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass, and also the ball or compass which was prepared for my father by the hand of the Lord, according to that which is written. And it came to pass that we began to prosper exceedingly, and to multiply in the land. And I, Nephi, did take the sword of Laban, and after the manner of it, did make many swords, lest by any means the people who were now called Lamanites should come upon us and destroy us. For I knew their hatred towards me and my children and those who were called my people. And I did teach my people to build buildings, and to work in all manner of wood, and of iron, and of copper, and of brass, and of steel, and of gold, and of silver, and of precious ores, which were in great abundance. These verses give us an excellent description of the skills and diligent industry of the Nephites under the guidance of Nephi. And I, Nephi, did build a temple, and I did construct it after the manner of the temple of Solomon, save it were not built of so many precious things, for they were not to be found upon the land. Wherefore it could not be built like unto Solomon's temple, but the manner of the construction was like unto the temple of Solomon, and the workmanship thereof was exceeding fine. The fact that they would build a temple which was copied after the temple of Solomon and have workmanship that was exceedingly fine tells us a lot about the spiritual character of these people and the skill of Nephi in training them to perform the task. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did cause my people to be industrious and to labor with their hands. And it came to pass that they would that I should be their king. But I, Nephi, was desirous that they should have no king. Nevertheless, I did for them according to that which was in my power. It is interesting that Nephi refused to let them make him king. 
Like any great spiritual leader, he had no political ambitions, but he did aspire to teach the people and lead them into paths of righteousness. Later, in Mosiah chapter 29, we find a whole chapter explaining why the people should never have kings. And behold, the words of the Lord had been fulfilled unto my brethren, which he spake concerning them, that I should be their ruler and their teacher. Wherefore, I had been their ruler and their teacher, according to the commandments of the Lord, until the time they sought to take away my life. As Nephi reflected on everything that had happened, he realized the words of the Lord had been fulfilled concerning his role as a leader and a teacher among God's people. And the word of the Lord had certainly been fulfilled concerning the rebels from whom Nephi and his righteous followers had separated. He says, Wherefore the word of the Lord was fulfilled, which he spake unto me, saying that, Inasmuch as they will not hearken unto thy words, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. And behold, they were cut off from his presence. And he had caused the cursing to come upon them, yea, even a sore cursing, because of their iniquity. For behold, they had hardened their hearts against him, that they had become like unto a flint. Wherefore, as they were white and exceeding fair and delightsome, that they might not be enticing unto my people, the Lord God did cause a skin of blackness to come upon them. And thus saith the Lord God, I will cause that they shall be loathsome unto thy people, save they shall repent of their iniquities. And cursed shall be the seed of him that mixeth with their seed, for they shall be cursed even with the same cursing. And the Lord spake it, and it was done. And because of their cursing which was upon them, they did become an idle people, full of mischief and subtlety, and did seek in the wilderness for beasts of prey. It is interesting that the Lord alerted Nephi to the fact that if his own people became dissolute and indifferent to God's commandments, the Lamanites would be a scourge to stir them up to righteousness again. It turned out that this happened repeatedly during the following centuries. He said to Nephi, And the Lord God said unto me, They shall be a scourge unto thy seed, to stir them up in remembrance of me. And inasmuch as they will not remember me and hearken unto my words, they shall scourge them even unto destruction. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, did consecrate Jacob and Joseph, that they should be priests and teachers over the land of my people. And it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness. The spiritual affairs of the people were increasing as the population increased. Therefore Nephi ordained both of his brothers, Jacob and Joseph, to be ministers and teachers to the people. The most significant praise Nephi could make concerning the righteousness of his people was this high tribute. Quote, and it came to pass that we lived after the manner of happiness, unquote. This could be inscribed over the entrance to one of the temples. And thirty years had passed away from the time we left Jerusalem. And I, Nephi, had kept the records upon my plates, which I had made of my people thus far. By this time, Nephi says, it had been thirty years since they left Jerusalem. This means it was now 569 B.C. 
Since they were eight years in the wilderness and then had to build a ship and cross the Pacific, we estimate that they had been in America around 20 years. Nephi had been keeping records all this time, but now the Lord tells him to make another set of records with an emphasis on the spiritual aspects of their history. And it came to pass that the Lord God said unto me, Make other plates, and thou shalt engraven many things upon them which are good in my sight for the profit of thy people. Wherefore I, Nephi, to be obedient to the commandments of the Lord, went and made these plates, upon which I have engraven these things. And I engraved that which is pleasing unto God. And if my people are pleased with the things of God, they will be pleased with mine engravings which are upon these plates. And if my people desire to know the more particular part of the history of my people, they must search mine other plates. And it sufficeth me to say that forty years had passed away, and we had already had wars and contentions with our brethren. By the time Nephi had finished this second record, it had been forty years since they left Jerusalem. This makes it 559 B.C. Now we learn that by this time the Lamanites had discovered the Nephites, and several ferocious wars had been fought. This foreshadowed the pattern of events for the next several centuries. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lecture recordings while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.